so friends, as we um, move towards the scripture and the scripture experience, it is the story of transfiguration. And there's not a lot for me to say at the beginning because I can't really explain it to you. This is just one of those texts and one of those stories that we need to experience with the disciples, Peter, James, and John. And so I'm gonna invite Maureen to come and share our scripture for this morning. Maureen. The reading is taken from Mark chapter nine, verses two through nine. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy Christ, we gather together in the quiet of this morning and stand in the mystery of you. Open our hearts and our minds and our whole being that we might experience your presence with us. Amen. For the past few weeks, we have traveled through the, the season of Epiphany with this theme the words we say. In the rhythm of our life together over the course of the Christian year, the season of Advent fills us with an anticipation for the experience of Christmas, the birth of Christ, as the word becomes flesh and dwells in the midst of us. Christmas flows into the season of epiphany, epiphany, a word that comes from the Greek root meaning to make manifest. So we've spent time together in this season thinking of how the words we say about God and about our life together with God become manifest in the lives we lead. Transfiguration brings us to the place where the words run out. In the flashes of light, in the shadow of a numinous cloud with the sky opened and a voice from heaven saying, listen, the disciples stand there on this mountain with Jesus, and they have absolutely no idea what to say. There are not words enough. Transfiguration reminds us that all the words that we say about God and about Jesus are provisional and incomplete. Each word gives us a glimpse. It may last but a moment. 
it may warm and light our lives for a season or forever, but each word, each glimmer, each glimpse is but a fraction of the truth of God, a truth the whole of which is so much larger than our hearts and minds can ever fully grasp. It's why we need each other. Each of us brings a word and we try to make sense of them together. It's why we travel together over time as each new day brings a new word, the promise of new meaning that brings new life. Transfiguration brings us to the place where the words run out and then invites us into the holy experience of silence. The silence between the words. The place where we meet God in ways that words simply cannot express. On this mountaintop of transfiguration, midway through the Gospel of Mark, Peter, James, and John find themselves in the place where words run out. Now, we should note that even before they get to the top of the mountain, as they start their climb, they are already bewildered. They've just had that experience with Jesus that you may remember. Jesus asks them who others say he is, and they report, oh, some say Elijah, and some say one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ. Then Jesus speaks plainly, telling them that the Son of Man, the human one, will be brought before the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, and he will be killed. And after three days, rise again from death. And Peter says, no, 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 that, that's not what I meant. Not that Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God. The one who follows me must take up their cross. Words that convey bewildering truth. And after six days, Jesus takes them up this mountain, and there Jesus is transfigured, transformed in appearance. His clothes become a dazzling white of brightness beyond our knowing. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus walking and talking with Elijah and Moses in the midst of the law and the prophets. Seeing this, Peter suggests that they build booths, <laughs> booths or shelters. Scripture says, because Peter did not know what to say. And a cloud appears and envelops them. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And then the glimpse is gone. It's just them on the mountaintop, just them and Jesus. This is a theophany. Theophany comes from that same Greek root as epiphany to make manifest. Theophany is God made manifest, a direct experience of the divine. And this isn't the only theophany in the Gospel of Mark. Remember Jesus's baptism that we talked about about a month ago? Jesus is coming out of the waters and the heavens are torn open and a voice says, this is my son, the beloved with him I am well pleased. And we haven't gotten there yet, but this will happen again at the end of the Gospel of Mark too, an empty tomb where a young man in baptismal clothes tells the women that Jesus who was crucified is not there in that tomb. 
he's gone on ahead to meet them in Galilee. And the women stand at the empty tomb as the gospel of Mark tells it, trembling and bewildered, and they say nothing to nobody. There are no words. In each of these moments in the gospel, they, we experience God directly in the waters of baptism, on a mountaintop enveloped in a cloud of transfiguration, and at an empty tomb signifying life beyond death. And with each experience, they, we have no words. Now, to be sure, there are important words being revealed here. Jesus so fully human that he glows with the light of God, Jesus walking among the law and the prophets, Elijah and Moses, and then walking with us even further, Jesus, God's son, the beloved Jesus who will die and yet rise again beyond death, more light, more love, more life than we have ever imagined. There are important words made manifest here, and the only way to take them in is silence. And that may not come easy for Peter or for us. We are people of the word, people of words. Our tradition is when grounded in the words of scripture, brought to life in the living word, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh in us. Our worship and our prayers are full of words, good and worthy words. Words of praise and gratitude as we sing and shout and lift our voice. Words of lament and hurt as we cry out for healing. Words of contrition as we see as if for the first time the realities of our world, the systems we inhabit and our part in it all. Words of turning again. Every day, a brand new day. This is the day grace abounds our prayers and our lives are full of words. You may have experienced times like that in your life, those moments when there are no words, moments of awe at a sunset more beautiful than you have ever seen, moments of loss, too deep to speak, moments of tenderness, a hand to hold when you need it most, those places where the words run out. There are deep traditions, Christian traditions and beyond Christian traditions that include in our experience of God and the holy space for silence and reverence and awe. The silence beyond words prayer beyond our knowing, only our intention to be present with God in response to God's intention to be present with us. In her book, Joy Unspeakable, Barbara Holmes writes of this out of the communal contemplative traditions of the Black church. Silence and shouting and song, she describes contempl these contemplative moments as a spiritual event that kisses the cognitive, but that will not be enslaved to its rigidities. A space of freedom in God. Howard Thurman speaks of it as the practice of centering down, to sit quietly and see one's self pass by, to listen 
for the sound of the genuine deep within, an experience of God who is at the same time vast and limitless and intimate and personal. Kathleen Norris, a Presbyterian writer who has lived for long stretches in Benedictine communities, describes the importance of silence in the rhythm of monastic life, monastic communal life. Benedictine communities gather at regular times for prayer during the day, and they read together the Psalms with long spaces between them. No processing or explaining silence in between the words. The silence opens up space to experience the full power of the Psalms, or as she writes, to let the words wash over me. Kathleen Norris also teaches poetry in elementary schools. She tells of one day, one classroom where she was talking about metaphor, <laughs> metaphor to fourth graders when the teacher warned her that's not a subject they've, they've studied yet. To which Norris replied, oh, they'll know how to do it. They just don't know the word for it yet. She describes the epiphanies that then emerged that day. One fourth grade poet who wrote that the overnight snowfall was just like Jesus glowing on a mountaintop. Even when we don't yet know the words, when the words wash over us, the silence between the words can open up for us space to experience the holy. So I'm going to practice what I'm preaching here, and I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to invite us into a shared communal experience of silence right here and right now, just three minutes. Three minutes for us to sit together with each other in silence with the shared intention of being present with God. This is prayer. Not a prayer of words, but a prayer of intention. So wherever you are, I invite you to settle into your space. Just get, get comfortable in your seat, in your chair. Become aware of your surroundings, the room you're in, uh, the world beyond, through the windows, the place that you inhabit. Become aware of your body. How are you feeling today? Are there aches and pains? And when you're ready, I invite you to bring your attention to your breathing. You're breathing in and you're breathing out. The breath that God has breathed into us. Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. In just a moment, we'll pray our intention to rest in God's presence. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, but you may just want to say where you are. God, I'd like to spend some time with you. And as you do that, when distractions come, and they will, thoughts and worries, I invite you just to let them go and return to our intention 
by returning to your breath. So you're breathing in, you're breathing out. Don't worry about the time. I will time and make sure it's three minutes. Friends, let us be together in silence. Holy God, may we rest and abide in your presence for a while. Amen. When Kathleen Norris brings poetry into elementary classrooms, she sometimes begins by opening up a time for the kids to make noise and then a time for them to make silence.
you can imagine the time for making noise. She raises her hand and invites them to make noise as much as they can to shout and stomp and bang on desks until she lowers her hand. Then she raises her hand again and invites them to be as silent as they can possibly be together to make silence. She says we'd be surprised. The children become so still that silence becomes a living presence in the classroom. And then she asks them to write about it, poems. Here is what one class wrote. One poet said, silence is me sleeping, waiting to wake up. Another, silence is like spiders spinning their webs. It's like a silkworm making its silk. And one little girl wrote, silence reminds me to take my soul with me wherever I go. On that mountain of transfiguration, there were important words made manifest. There was the reverberating echo of you are the Christ and of Jesus saying the human one will be killed and then rise on the third day. There was the divine glow of Jesus, a bright glimpse of God dwelling in the fullness of humanity. There was the voice from the cloud, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And then there was silence, just them and Jesus. Truth bigger than words can convey, love deeper than our knowing and life stronger even than death. In that moment of transfiguration, there was nothing left to say and everything, everything left to live. 